Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 19 of the Central Texas Football Podcast, the 2022 season review edition of the CTFP. Ryan Fox here, joined alongside Kenny Heath. Kenny, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good, man. It's, it's hard to believe we've done a, a whole season. Uh, it's been it's been fun. Yeah, it's been really fun. 19 episodes. Hard to believe that we started this thing all the way back in August with our season preview, and we're and literally in the blink of an eye, we're already here. It's just crazy how fast time flies. But you know, hey, we're uh, it was an interesting season, a really fun season. Uh, but the thing for me during the state championships, I don't recall seeing that many blowouts in a in a state championship week. What about you? Yeah, there was a lot of blowouts. There were some good, some close ones that you know we saw mm-hmm. too. But yeah, uh, games that we thought were going to be really good games, maybe close games, it just didn't turn out that way. Yeah, and there's other games that we thought were going to be, you know, more one-sided. I guess in, in the example, we'll talk about it more in depth in a second, but that Mark game against Albany, you know, it was a one-sided affair from start to finish, but it's not the team that we thought would be on the winning side of that. Yeah, and we definitely thought Mark was going to win that game, but, man, I'll tell you what, Albany came out and punched him in the mouth. and, oh, and you know, did that, they that, ever. That number four, number five, Lefevre and uh, – Adam Hill. Adam Hill. Kind of like we talked about it, clone players. They could they could run the ball. They could catch the ball. They blocked well. They tackled well. Uh, two really good players. Yeah, and the thing is, th- they weren't going to be faster than Mark. No team in 2A Division Two is going to be faster or more athletic than Mark. But schematically and just the physicality that the Albany offensive line on, or the linemen on both sides of the ball, for that matter, showed – you know, it was just – that was the key difference in that game. But. Yeah, and I really – you know, in hindsight, it's twenty twenty, but I really thought Mark would – Mark, beginning in the second half, would try to stretch the field a little bit. Yeah. Use their speed, get some guys downfield. But uh, they kept throwing the wide receiver screen to number seven, who's a tremendous wide receiver. I, I really thought you need to get that guy vertical down the field. Uh, but they just – they couldn't do it. You know, Albany was just really good. Yeah, they were really well coached. Denny Faith, coach there at Albany, he'd been there. I think this was his 36th season at Albany, which is a tremendous thing in itself, being at one school for so long. And he had been to four previous state championship games with this Albany program and had lost every single one of them. A lot of that was because of a, play, a pretty good player that – I think I think he was pretty good. I think his name was uh, Rashad Paul or yeah. something like that. I think he was pretty good. Former Aggie. So um, a, bi- a big part of that was why Danny Faith wasn't able to get that elusive state championship. But he does this year against the Mark Panthers. We'll talk a little bit more about that game in depth. We'll start at the top of the show with uh, I guess pretty much a, a preview or a review rather of those state championship games <laughs> in which we had uh, Central Texas representation. We'll start from the bottom to the top. We'll start in the six-man game, the 1A Division I state championship. Abbott falls to a very, very good Westbrook team. Uh, I believe the final of that game was 69-20, to something like that. Both six-man games ended, ended up uh, finishing early with the 45-point mercy rule. Uh, Abbott to Westbrook, no exception to that whatsoever. Uh, and, Kenny, uh, you were at this game. I was working this day. Uh, but, I mean – about this this Westbrook team, they dominated from start to finish. Yeah, they were really dominant. <clears throat> Cedric Ware is a stud. Uh, Abbott just couldn't get anything going, man. I mean, every play, uh, Westbrook was in the backfield. Uh, it just – they really had a hard time. You know, they scored scored a couple of times, but Westbrook was do- just dominated from start to finish, like you said. Yeah, it was uh, just – and with Cedric Ware, he was the best player on the field, and that was gonna that was gonna be the case no matter what. And, and it was no surprise here. Uh, again, Cedric Ware last year in the one Division One state championship, in which they beat uh, Motley County last year. Uh, Cedric Ware was the or not Motley County. Uh, they beat May last year in the one A Division One state championship, and Cedric Ware was the dual offensive and defensive MVP um, in that game. And then the same case here uh, in their win. Over Abbott, I I believe he's only the second player. Uh, I, w- I want to get this right here. Only the second player in state championship history to get offensive and defensive MVP ba- in back-to-back years. And I believe the first was Dane Yench. I think Dane of Grandview was the first player to ever do that. At least 
at least in recent years, maybe not the first ever, but at yeah. least in, in recent memory, it hadn't been done before uh, in at least a long time before Dane did it. And Cedric Ware for uh, Westbrook does it here in back-to-back years, and he actually earned that with his performance against Abbott. Yeah, he's a tremendous ball player, and, and it deserved both those awards. Uh, really good uh, six-man football player, and not much more you can say either. Yeah, and again, those both, <clears throat> both those six-man games ended with the 45-point mercy rule, and they really set the precedent for how the, re- the rest of the week would go. There was only, I think, out of the 12 state, champion- state championship games, I think only three, three or four of them were within 10 points. Yeah, well, we had two come down the wire, which was awesome. And one of those games will go to uh, – well, after this, we'll, we'll, right now we're going to touch back on that Martin-Albany game. Uh, this was – the Abbott game was played Wednesday afternoon um, – Last or last week in the state championship games, and then on Wednesday night, uh, it was Mart falling to Albany. I think they scored forty-one twenty-one in that game. Uh, the Panthers fall, and that 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 increased Mart's title drought. They haven't won a state championship in three years, which I mean that's kind of surprising, especially with how good their teams have been the last few years. You know, when push came to shove towards the end of the season, they just haven't been able to get it done the last three years. Yeah, and it's interesting to see what Coach Hoffman is going to do after this year. You know, he retired last year and and came back, and Mm -hmm. I know he thought this team was one of the best teams he's going to have – he's had in a while. Uh, But, you know, there's (laughs) – that's just kind of the deal at Mart, the state championship or bust. I mean, every yeah. every other, you know, 99.9% of the teams in the state are like, hey, we had a hell of a year. We got to the state championship game. We just didn't get it done. Let's go back next year. But if you're a Mart, you know, Mart, they want state championships. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, just, the numbers spoke for themselves. They were probably the, as, you know, pound for pound, as Greg Tepper would say, across all classifications, when you look at the numbers, Mart was probably the most dominant team you know, in the entire state, they won by an average margin of, or they were scoring an average of 58 points per game, which was the most in all classifications of Texas high school football. And they were only giving up six points a game on top of that. And and you look back to the semifinal matchup they had against Burton, they faced, that Burton team going into that state semifinal matchup had given up zero touchdowns heading into week five of the playoffs. And Martis went out there and dropped 41 on him. You're like, uh-oh. They just did that on one of the top defenses across the entire state of Texas. So, you know, most people, I think you look at the the, the Dave Campbell's you know, graphic they put on their social media pages, every single, uh, you know, quote, expert there, they had Mart winning the state championship game. I remember seeing on social media some of the, you know, the Albany faithful, you know, poking fun at that and everything. Yeah. And But, I mean – I'm, I think everyone thought that Mart was going to win this game. And then Albany just came out, and we said it earlier, just out-physical Mart. They didn't have the speed that Mart had, but schematically and just the game plan that Coach Danny Faith and his staff put together for the Lions, they, they, they controlled this game against the Mart Panthers really, again, like start to finish. Yeah, and they got kids coming back. Yeah. Uh, the running back, uh, what's uh, Adam Hill's coming back. Their quarterback's coming back. Number 70, Zane Wagner, who mm-hmm. dominated mm-hmm. both sides of the ball. He's coming back. So, uh, you, we may see this Albany team again. Yeah, they're not going anywhere. I mean, Coyle <clears throat> Fever, uh, I think he was the offensive MVP of this game. Um, he was absolutely dominant, scored two or three touchdowns on the night. Cole Chapman, the quarterback, they didn't ask him to throw it much, and that's really because they didn't have to. They're, they were Whether it was Chapman running the ball, Hill, Lefevre, whatever the case was, they ran the ball very, very effectively against this Mart defense, which, again, I don't think Mart's been you know, out physical like that all season long. That's why their defense had been so dominant. But, you know, they got – they fell early. I think Albany jumped to like a 14 nothing lead, something like that. And just Mark can never fully respond yeah. from there. They never looked back. And I'm sorry, uh, Chapman, he's a senior. He's not coming He is back. a senior. Okay. Well, still, I mean, with Lefevre alone, the MVP well, coming back. Well, Lefevre's a senior. Adam Hill is a junior. Okay. And the, the Zane Wagner, the, the, the lineman that just – Golly, that kid, that was he, – He was – like, was we, dominant, we were yeah. talking about it earlier. He was in on every single yeah, play yeah. defensively. And, and I believe it, he started along the offensive yeah, line Yeah, and, and well. if you watched uh, 
any offensive play, he played to the whistle, and he would have his guy five or six yards deep <laughs> yeah. and pancake him. He was, he's a stud. Yeah, the, this Albany Lions team was really good. They, they were clearly the better team coming out of that state championship game, and they absolutely earned it. Really, really happy for Denny Faith. You know, 36 years for one pro, with one program really says something. It was their fifth trip to the state championship game under Coach Faith, and he finally got that elusive state championship game, you know, Again, one of those few coaches and another coach, we'll probably touch on it later, one of those coaches that's one of the winningest of all time, over 300 wins for Coach Faith, but the one thing he was missing was that state championship, state championship, and he got it this year over the Mark Panthers. So congratulations to Coach Faith there. But, I mean – If you look at the four smallest classes, man, West Texas dominated. Yeah. You know, uh, Albany, Holly, uh, Westbrook, Benjamin. Yeah, there was – All West Texas schools. And, I mean, just – such a every game seemingly was one side in the state championship games and that's really I've been going to the state championship game since 2018 I mean that's not very long but even then there just weren't many cases of it being just pure dominance from start to finish all these one-sided affairs you just never saw that many you know games turning up that way but I mean you look at a lot of teams that play Carthage you know they were doing that all season again that Carthage team, their semifinal against Glen Rose, when Glen Rose took a seven-point lead in the fourth quarter, that was the the first and ultimately the only time that Carthage trailed in a football game all season long. And then Alito, they jumped out early. I think it was 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter over College Station. And then that game was over at that point too. Just absolute dominance and just the one-sidedness of this state championship week of this season, I just – I didn't expect it, honestly, because on paper, a lot of these matchup, matchups look really fun. Yeah. Like, they'd be really tight, but that just wasn't the case. But one of the games that was tight, our next game here, Franklin getting the win 17-14 over Brock. This game was played Thursday night uh, during state championship week at AT&T Stadium. This was a knockdown drag out game. It was, man. And the the, the quarterback, and I, I don't I forgot his name, but, man, that guy's got ice water running through his veins. Run, doing that drive, the game-winning drive, and coming in and, and kicking the, the, the field goal to win it, man. What a, what a, what a stud. And the, the awesome thing, and this is, Fra- this is Franklin style of play, <clears throat> winning a state championship game while only attempting and completing one pass. And doing and it on that last drive. On that game-winning yeah. drive, exactly. It was unbelievable per- performance. Both Bryson Washington and Jaden Jackson had great games. But, I mean, the one thing that kept this thing close, Brock's defensive front was unbelievable this game because Franklin's offense – Although they are that slot T that run it down your throat, despite that being, you know, that just that run first offense, Franklin lived off the big play. And there was yeah. no, no doubt about that. Th- throughout the entire season, they were busting out 60, 70, 80 yard touchdowns all year long. And then, but that never happened. They, they only broke like one big 45 yard run, I think, early in the game, like in the second quarter or something. And aside from that, Brock's defensive front really kept this Franklin offensive line and running attack in check. Now, but with Franklin's offense, they were able to keep the ball going. They were getting like three or four yards a pop. They were able to keep the chains going. Like their opening drive was 16 plays and took eight and a half minutes off the clock. And that was, of course, that's what that offense is designed to do. And especially with this tough matchup with the defensive front that Brock had this season that that was Franklin's game plan from the very start, Kenny. Yeah, and do you remember maybe around week three, four, and five when Franklin was giving up 23 points, 35, mm-hmm. 32, 42 to Rockdale, 35 to Lorena, and everybody was thinking, well, Franklin's defense is probably not that great. Then you get to the state championship game. They hold a Brock team who scores a ton of points to 14. Mm-hmm. So uh, props to that Franklin defense because they did a hell of a job themselves. And we were just talking about <clears throat> Brock's defensive front. Same thing for the front seven for Franklin. They had Tyler Moody, the quarterback for Brock, under pressure all night long. Same thing with Brock. They couldn't really establish a run game either. They did a lot of their damage through the air. And, you know, it was – Really, really tight game. I'm not I'm not one that's traditionally for, you know, low-scoring games. But from start to finish, despite it only being a 17-14 finish and, and this era that we're in with scoring, you know, 50 points a game and everything, this was probably, uh, from the games that I saw, because I didn't go Friday, so I didn't get to see the, uh, the China Spring game. Uh-huh. Th- this game with 
Franklin and Brock might have been the most exciting game I'd seen. It was a great game, man. Uh, I, I wasn't there. Watched it uh, at the house. Uh, and, man, it was a nail-biter. And, you know, you watch that last drive, you're like, holy cow. And, you know, they, they uh, the, the quarterback who, like I said, he's got ice water, you know, engineers that drive. And then, okay, it's time for me to kick a field goal and, and win it all. And that was a really good crowd, especially on the Brock side. I think the biggest pop I saw from the crowds in the state championship game was that one play where I can't remember the receiver's name, but Tyler Moody, it was like third and long. It was 14-7 to seven at that point in the fourth quarter, and he lobbed up that one-on-one pass in the corner of the end zone, and the receiver jumped up and caught it over the Franklin defender. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Brock's fan, like stands, they went absolutely nuts. I, I kid you not, every single person literally were standing, <laughs> stood up, and jumped out of their seat. I hadn't seen anything <laughs> like that. It was an unbelievable reaction to a heck of a catch, too. That was a great play that tied the game. It was really, really awesome. It was a really, really exciting game. Um, of course, Franklin gets the game-winning field goal at, as time expired to win 17-14. Huge, huge, huge game. A really, really exciting finish. And I think from what I saw throughout the week with my own eyes being at the stadium, I think this is the best game of the week. It was a good one. You know, and we got another one to talk about that was just about as good. And we will talk about that one right now. Uh, this kicked off Friday. Uh, this was Friday afternoon, actually. China Spring taking on Bernie. They win the state championship game also with a walk-off field goal, 24-21. But let's talk about how they got there, Kenny. They fell down to Bernie 21 to nothing yep. to start the game. And they're like, uh-oh, here we go. It's going to be another blowout central, another one-sided game. But then something clicked. And credit to the China Spring coaching staff, too. They made unbelievable adjustments on both sides of the ball heading into the second half. And China Spring scores 24 unanswered and cap it off uh, with a game-winning field goal by Mr. Automatic Thomas Barr, an unbelievable comeback for the China Spring Cougars. Yeah, I think the key to that game, too, was China Spring getting that last touchdown before the first half was Mm -hmm. over and just kind of getting a little more momentum, Mm -hmm. getting into halftime. And like you said, second half, they scored 17 unanswered in the second half. And, uh, yeah, that last second field goal, another uh, nail-biter, man. And, you know, the, there's that old saying, the, the first touchdown is the hardest one to come by. And <clears> you <throat> could see once China Springs scored that touchdown towards the end of the first half, you know, to make it 21-7, you could see the complete complexity of the game change. Like, you could see China Springs might have been looking ner- a little nervous there for a bit, but then they drove down the field and scored to make a 14-point game going in half, and something clicked. They're like, okay, all right, we got some momentum now. Everything, Everything's looking good now. And then yeah. they went in the halftime, made their adjustments. The coaches did a great job. And the kids did a phenomenal job just executing those changes in the second half as they went on to score uh, 17 more points in the second half. They outscored. They shut down Bernie completely on off- their, Bernie's offense in the second half as they outscored him 17 to nothing. Again, capped off with that Thomas Barr field goal to win it. Unbelievable ball game. I, I wish I was there in person for this one, but I had to work. But just I got I got to watch it on the TV though, so I saw yeah. it live. Uh, it was unbelievable ball game, Kevin. Well, you know, I think that maybe that's where China Springs' experience in these big games mm-hmm. come from. You know, Bernie, uh, I'm sure they played some big games, but China Springs the last two years they played in some tremendous games, even district games against Stephenville. You know, last second field goal for Thomas Barr there too. Mm-hmm. I think that probably came in handy. The guys yeah, kind of said, hey. Let's not get excited, slow and steady. Let's let's do what we know what we can do. The coaches are going to make some changes, and uh, let's go out and execute and play our game, and I think that's what happened. And so yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's just a, a review of the state championship games. We had a lot of Central Texas representation, uh, four teams from our region making it to the state championship game, <clears throat> uh, two of them being successful and two of them uh, falling a little bit short, but still uh, great representation in the state championship games from the Central Texas region. As always. Uh, Lido won again. So DFW was uh, very, mm-hmm. very involved in these state championship games this year. Yeah, and they, like were, they usually are. They're yeah, really dominant. And that, we'll talk about that as well. Alito, I mean, they're just unbelievable start to finish. College Station just could not keep up with Alito's speed, athleticism. And they were really big up front too, man. They yeah. were really, really technically sound as well. Really, really physical. 
And But you look at College Station, the fact that they made it is kind of a miracle in itself. They lost Marquise Collins at the beginning of the season. They lost their starting quarterback early in the season as well. And they were able to overcome that adversity and fight all their way to the state championship game. But they just ran into a bus on Alito. Yeah, and uh, Coach Buck, Coach Tim Buchanan, he's back, you know, I think this was a second, third year coming back mm-hmm. and coaching the team. And uh, kind of started out a little slow with them, but – Man, they were hitting on all cylinders by the time playoffs came around. Yeah, and people thought they were going to take a step back. One, for two reasons. Because, one, during this recent realignment, they jumped up to 5A Division One, and they started off the season 0-2 as well. So a lot of people are like, uh-oh, you know, they moved to 5A Division One. They're not going to do anything now. But look at that. They just rattled off 14 straight wins for their record 11th state championship game. Yeah. That, that's more state championships than – a lot of programs in Texas have playoff appearances. Oh, yeah. Just unbelievable job. I mean, that 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 program in Alito is machine. It's been that way for a long time. It's a well-run program. Tim Buchanan is a legend, one of the all-time coaching greats in the state of Texas. Well-deserved win as well as they just dominated. And then, you know, staying in DFW, <laughs> did you see the crowd for that South Oak Cliff? Uh, Poor Netsis yep. game. I don't think it was quite what they thought. I, mean, yeah. I thought they were wanting 60, but what did yeah. it end up being? Uh, almost 40. 40, something yeah. like Still, that. that's a big crowd for a high school football mm-hmm. game. Yeah, and with Poor Netsis Groves, I think they traveled well. I think they still had, you know, 25,000, 30,000 people show up. It's just the, uh, I guess the representation of the South Oak Cliff crowd just wasn't what it was last year. But the reason that South Oak Cliff crowd was so big last year, I think is because it was the – I think it was the first time that a Dallas ISD school had appeared in a state championship game, or at least won a state championship game, since 2003 at that point in time. Uh, South Oak Cliff got the win uh, last year over Liberty Hill, and then they go back-to-back as well as they beat Port Natchez Groves. They had to come back as well early yep. as they fell early. I think it was like 15 nothing or something in the first half. And then they came back and won. They got two safeties in the game as well, which is a really, really rarity. I think, I think their score was literally like – 14 to 4 at one point or yeah. something like that. It was very, very strange. And then the last DFW school, I mean, that Duncanville, Coach Reginald Samples finally getting that. We talked about Danny Faith earlier. Coach Samples, <laughs> he has over 300 career wins. And the one thing he was missing on his resume was that elusive state championship. And he got it. And that was another great game, too. 28 21, Duncanville finally beat North Shore. At AT&T Stadium, that was a great game from start to finish, too. Yeah, I didn't get to watch a whole lot of it. I caught the end of it, and, uh, yeah, I'm happy for Coach Samuels. I don't know him, but uh, he's been doing it a long time, and I think he's got a lot of uh, respect throughout the coaching community. So, congrats to him. And DeSoto also got a state championship game there. Yeah, DeSoto as well. That's right. That was a a game that was close for a little while. Uh, Vandergriff hung in there for a little bit, but I think DeSoto – they had um, that Trey Wisner, number five. They had that uh, other really good receiver. His name slips my mind right now. And then DJ Bailey, their quarterback, man, he was sharp as a razor. He was really, really good. Just, yeah, Vandergriff, they didn't really have an answer for the athleticism and the speed that, that DeSoto had, and that was ultimately a difference maker in that ball game. But, yeah, DFW really well represent represented in the state championship games as well. And so if, that, you, if you take like South Oak Cliff, DeSoto, and Duncanville, and you had a recruiting – all their top recruits, you'd like to have a top ten recruiting class. I mean, there's yeah. studs Just from all those three schools, over the yeah. field for the – South Oak Cliff's got dudes going to Texas. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. A that, lot of talent out there. It's just D1 talent. And then Coach Jason Todd, unbelievable coach. coach. And he has a, he's built an incredible coaching staff as well because they had to make adjustments in the second half as well because I believe they shut out Port Netsis Groves in the second half as well to secure that state championship win. Just great game for Central Texas and DFW. They, you know, and I mean, West Texas as well is kind of evenly distributed between yep. the three with the representation um, but DFW and West Texas definitely dominated uh, in the win column for sure. Just, but still, it was a state championship week. The pageantry and all that, seeing all the the big crowds and stuff, <clears throat> it was really really fun experience as always. I'm glad I got to go, and I'll be going again next year. That's for sure. Just hopefully the games will be a little bit more exciting next year. Yeah. So now for our next segment here, I thought this would be a fun thing we could do here. Uh, as we, you know, we close the book on the 2022 season, well, let's go ahead and take a look towards 2023. So a fun little segment here. We'll, we'll take a look at uh, Kenny and I, uh, along with uh, Matt Stepp as well. We usually start the show with a question of the week, but our question of the week to Matt Stepp this week was, uh, 
what we're doing here. Uh, choose three teams that you know had a really good season that made deep runs this year and that will be reloaded and be right back next year. And also choose three teams that will be a little under the radar, teams that probably have a good chance to make a deep run last year or teams that are usually really good that had a down year last year that will be back this year, just something like that. Uh, three sleeper teams and three teams that were dominant this past year and will be back. So I thought this would be a fun little segment here. And uh, Kenny, we'll start with you. Uh, uh, of the three teams that you think will be back, who's the first team for you? I think Mart. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, as long as Mart is fielding a football team, I think they're going to be a favorite to win a state championship or at least win a region. Uh, I got Mart. Uh, like you said, we talked earlier, I got China Spring. They lose a lot, but they're still bringing back that quarterback. So I think they're going to be in the mix next year. And, uh, and Crawford, I th- think Crawford's the same. They're going to be, uh, as long as they stay healthy, they're going to be a favorite to win a region and make a run of the state championship game. And also, I think Franklin. You know, I know they said three, but I think Frank, Franklin's going to reload and, and come back just as strong. Yeah, and I agree with you there. One of my teams as well was Mart. Uh, Mart, you know, they're only losing – well, with the 2A Division two. this could be a lot. They're losing eight seniors off their team, all of them starters. But they return the quarterback, Jonah Ross – and they returned their near 2,000-yard rusher in Jadarian Bell, who was only a sophomore this past season, by the way. He's really good. He'll be back. And the strength of this Mart team coming back in 2023 will be the defense. They returned seven of their 11 starters from a defense that gave up only six points per game going into the state championship game. Um, you know, I, I think they'll be back as well. I think the question for them, and along with another team I'll touch on here in a second, they'll have to replace uh, their offensive line, a good chunk of that as well. I think uh, Abram Ross, the brother of Jonah Ross, will be graduating this year. Uh, they'll have re- they'll have to replace a couple of those guys along the offensive and defensive lines. Cody Franklin, they'll be losing him as well. So we'll just have to see what they do. But I think Mark will be back uh, with a chip on their shoulder going into 2023. And I think uh, staying in 2A Division two. I think another team that will be back next year is Burton. They lose seven seniors from, from a team that made it to the semifinals, and they return the strength of their offense from this past year. They're returning four out of their five offensive linemen. Uh, but the thing is, they'll be returning two of their leading rushers, but they'll be missing the top leading rusher in Delvin Gant. And they'll have to replace their quarterback, Vicente Veliz, as well. But Veliz, uh, he wasn't much of a thrower. He, he was kind of a, a controller of the offense, kind of like a – I guess what's the word? He he took command of the offense. Yep. You know, he, he was able to, to run it really well. Um, I mean, they're only losing seven seniors. They had a really, really big team last year. And with them especially returning most of their offensive line – um, I, I think Burton will be back as well. They had a really good defense. They're returning a lot of starters on the defensive side of the ball, as particularly at the skill position spots. Uh, I, I think they'll be back next year as well. And the third team for me uh, is Malakoff in 3A Division One. I. I think Malakoff will be back. Um, they'll have to – another thing we mentioned before, Malakoff, they'll have to replace six senior linemen. And some of, some of the guy, some of those guys are two-way starters on the offensive and defensive line. Some of them started on just one side. Whatever the case may be, they'll have to replace six senior linemen uh, from the 2022 roster. But they return uh, quarterback Mike Jones, who is a sophomore this year, and another sophomore, their leading running back, Jason Tennyson, will be back as well. So in the skill position spots, they're returning a whole bunch. They'll be really, really loaded, coming off a 13-2 and two, uh, semifinal run here or quarterfinal run. Uh, they were unbelievably good this year, and they'll be back. I, I really yeah, do think I think definitely with, with what they got coming back, they're definitely going to be the region favorite. You know, I, I think, think so. Mount Vernon loses a lot with McGill and their quarterback that got hurt, uh, Bennett, and uh, Grandview loses uh, Case in English. So, I, yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head with Malakoff. And then, yeah, and then – uh, we asked Matt Stubb this question as well, and he agrees with you. China Spring, Crawford, and Mart. And I think there's good reason. Again, at the points we mentioned with Mart, Mart's going to be returning a lot, including their quarterback and uh, running back. And then Crawford, you know, they'll have a little bit to replace. They have to replace uh, Luke Torbert and Breck Chambers. But the rest of their skill spots and their offensive line are loaded as well. So uh, it shouldn't take a whole lot, especially with how they run that offense to replace uh, guys like that because they, they still have a couple really good key contributors coming back as well from a team that made a state semifinal run. A lot of that, again, is on the defensive side of the ball for Crawford. So I, I agree. They'll be back as well. And then China Spring. I went back and forth on China Spring. 
that's what y'all went with. I, I do want to say, I think I would put China Spring more in the under the radar category. And the reason for that is I think they're losing something like 35, 37 seniors from this class or 27, something like that. They're, they're losing a bunch is my point. But they're returning Cash McCollum. They're returning a lot of their linemen as well. And the reason I think, how can you put, you guys are going to say, how can you put a, a program that has won back-to-back state championships <laughs> with two different coaches and in two different divisions in the under-the-radar category? And I think it's for that very reason. They're losing so much that people are just going to automatically assume that they'll take a step back. But China Spring is one of those programs where they don't rebuild, they reload. So the, I think they'll have the young talent that they have will be able to step up and fill those roles. And I think as long as you know Tyler Beatty and staff are, are on hand for the China Spring Cougars, I think they'll be they'll be rearing to go and ready to make a deep t- uh, deep playoff run for for many years to come. Like the, at least the next five to ten years, of the talent they have coming up through the middle school and you know their JV teams are really really good. They'll be back. They have an excellent coaching staff as always. Um, but, yeah, I think just for that that reason of them losing so much, I think a lot of people are going to assume that they're going to take a step back. But I think they'll be just fine. So I, I kind of put them in the under-the-radar category just for that reason. I don't have them on my list, though. So we will now transition to the three teams under the radar. Who's the, who are the teams for you that will be under the radar? I got La Vega. I, I just think they kind of stumbled this year, but you know, mm-hmm. with Bryson Rowland at running back, and, and I think they're gonna, you know, they'll 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 find their way next year. Uh, and I'm I'm gonna say this. I think Conley maybe might get it together. You know, mm-hmm. they, they you know they, they still have Kiefer Seeley coming back. Mm-hmm. They've got uh, Kobe Black coming back. They lose Jelani McDonald, and they uh, lose another kid in the secondary that's going Texas or Oklahoma State. I think so. Uh, they've got the pieces, and then uh, I'm going to go out and say Dawson with that freshman quarterback they got over there. I mean, he uh, had, what, 1,400 passing yeah. yards in the first four weeks or something like that? Something I think uh, Coach Thompson's got something rolling over there. And, and, and of course, they're in, that, uh, you know, they're in that same district with Mark, but I think they've got a little something going on over there in Dawson. Yeah, and that, that's a great list. I agree with all those for sure. And I'll start with one of the teams that I also have listed along with you, and Matt Stepp has listed too is La Vega. You know, La Vega, they finished five and six, but they outscored their opponents in totality by 73 points. So they're in a lot of close games. They're mm-hmm. relatively long, relatively young. And look, they returned Bryson Rowland, their leading rusher. I mean, he was one of the top running backs, not just in Central Texas, but in the entire state, if you ask me. Bryson Rowland was an absolute stud this year. And they'll be, again, they're relatively young. They'll be returning a lot as well. And I think they'll be more favored in this district as well. You know, China Spring, I, I just said earlier that they'll be, you know, they'll be fine with losing as many seniors. But I think with them losing so much state championship experience on that team and then a, a lot of new guys needing to fill those roles, I think that bodes well for La Vega just because La Vega will be returning more experience than China Spring will. So that might put them in a chance to have a better playoff seat out of that district. And I think when, when La Vega and China Spring uh, – uh, Lockhorns again in 2023 in the di- in the district season. It's going to be a really really great game, as always. But yeah, I think La Vega will be under the radar. They'll be returning a lot, but saying that, I don't think they'll be under the radar for very long. I think they'll come out and just they'll, they'll start winning again. I think we'll see some more old fashioned you know the, the La Vega that we know. Uh, I think they'll be you know more in tune to what they're used to and the standards that they hold that program to. I think they'll be really good next year. Um, but yeah, that's La Vega under the radar for me as well. And Matt Step agrees. And then uh, we'll take a look at uh, Steps here for a second. He has uh, Little River Academy. Um, and I think we were talking about it earlier. I'm not really sure how much Academy is losing. I think they're losing their starting quarterback, but. You know, I mean, we didn't really talk about Little River Academy. We talked about them a lot earlier in the season because we thought they'd be, you know, a chance to win that district that they had. Mm-hmm. And it was a really tough district as well, or at least have a chance to make the playoffs out of that one. But they kind of stumbled down the stretch there. Uh, you know, halfway through the season, they just started uh, losing games there. And they, they just they just didn't live up to what we thought they were going to be in the season. But they, they get their quarterback, uh, Mraz, back. They get him back? Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't. I still. I don't know how much they'll be losing, but 
I mean, Matt Steps, he knows a lot more than we do, so I'll probably just go ahead and take his word for it. But the one that surprises me that I'm still not really sure about, he has Midway being under the radar in uh, in 2023. Um, I know that they were... Midway was really banged up this year. They lost their quarterback, and they were down to their third-string running back at the end of the season as well. So that that might be a good reason why they didn't. They weren't at full strength for what appeared to be most of the season. They weren't at full strength. So I think they have a lot of those guys coming back. And if you know, Coach Coach Anderson, Coach Shane Anderson, can get that thing going there and get those kids going, who knows? Well, you know, they're on a three-year kind of a three-year slump. You know, yep. the last, you know, the. The redistrict the redistrict schedule you know two years ago was they were up, yeah they were up there with the the juggernauts up there in mm-hmm. South Dallas and now they're down kind of south and it got a little easier but not much easier yeah and but you know there's there's so much should be enough talent around that area where you know they're going to compete for a district championship yeah I think so I think so they got a really good chance at it, especially if they're they can stay healthy because. Midway has the athletes. That's never been in question. No. It's just can they stay healthy and can Coach Anderson, you know, get that train rolling there. But yeah, that's uh, those are Matt's under the radar teams: uh, Little River Academy, La Vega, and Midway. My other under the radar team is this might surpri- surprise some of you guys: Salado. I think Salado will be <clears throat> under the radar. They did finish three and eight on the season, but you look at you look at one thing what they have returning they're returning their quarterback Luke Law their leading rusher and Case uh, Megden I think that's how you say it uh, two of their three top tacklers on defense and Rayla Hoover and Combs and they were in, returned three out of their five starters along the offensive line and they're in that five team district you know they're, they're probably going to get that last spot because especially with another thing we'll touch on later in the show are some of the coaching changes how is Robinson going to bounce back losing coach Ludlow because uh, that they they did not have a good season this past year as well. Out of that five-team district, they were the fifth team that did not make the playoffs. Mm. So we'll have to see what they do. But with Salado returning so much experience, and you look – they lost in the di- by-district round to, to Cuero, a Cuero team that ended up going to the state semifinals. They pushed Cuero 13-7 to in yeah. overtime. Cuero – they, they, they led a – they took a very, very good Quero team into overtime in the by district round. It came up just a bit short, 13-7. to So I think with the experience that Salado has coming back, along with that, although they lost in the by district round, they are like, hey, we can play with the big dogs here, Kenny. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I think Coach Westerberg is going to – you know, because you look, they were – that's a new scheme for those guys. You mm-hmm. know, uh, Coach Harry, yeah. you know, was running that ground and pound. Uh, you know, I don't know. Slot T. Slot T. And then Coach Westerberg comes in, and it's a spread offense. Mm-hmm. They're throwing the ball around everywhere, running the ball a little bit. Yeah, because a lot of those kids so, for Salado, they were coming up through the middle school, JV, that whole system, uh, running Coach Allen Harris' slot T offense, yeah. which he took to Colleen Chaparral. And that's another team that I don't have a list anymore, but I think that's a team that will be up, up on the rise too. Well, I mean, that's well, the not, only way they can go. But Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. But – yeah, I mean, Coach Harris is a good coach. Oh, he has yeah. a really good track record when he was at dude. Salado. Uh, if he sticks with that program and the kids stick with it and buy into Coach Harris' philosophy, they'll be, they'll be on the up and up every year as long as he's there. But, yeah, I think Salado, and that's a big reason they're 3-8, and eight, just that huge adjustment is going from the slot tee to the traditional spread. And I think, you know, they'll have a full off season here to really just implement that system again, get these younger guys more in tune with what Coach Westerberg wants to do, and I, I think they'll be up. I yeah, mean, I, I agree 100%, man. I, I, think regard, I think they'll still, out of this five-team district, I think they'll get one of the four playoff spots. I don't really think that'll be a question, but I think with the experience they have returning, they'll have a chance, especially if they get a good playoff seed and get a favorable matchup, a favorable path into the playoffs. They could probably make a three or four round deep run here. I really think they will. Uh, with that experience they have returning. And then third team for me under the radar, University. University returns a lot as well. A team that they're not too far, too far off from having the longest losing streak in the state of Texas. I think it was like 47 games, something like that. And and Coach Kent Laster, he took a team from 0-10 to 
to their first playoff appearance in 13 years and their first playoff win in 13 years as well. They made it to the second round where they ran to a buzzsaw in Fort Ben Marshall, who, if it wasn't for PNG, they probably would have been playing um, South Oak Cliff for a state championship mm -hmm. in their own right. They were a really, really good team. And that was a revenge game for Port Nettis Rose, by the way, because they were in that same district with Fort Ben Marshall, and Fort Ben Marshall mm -hmm. got them in district, and then PNG got them back in that re revenge game in the fourth round and knocked Fort Ben Marshall out and made their state title run. But, but... Besides the point, University, they have a lot coming back as well. They'll have to the big thing they'll be losing is the running back Makai Sandoff, and they're gonna have to replace all but one all but two starters along the offensive line. So they're only re returning two starters along the offensive line. They're losing their leading rusher, which was the district MVP as well, and Makai Sandoff. He'll be playing. I, I believe he, he's offered by West Texas AM at the moment. He should if he, if he was a couple inches bigger, he'd, he'd have a lot more, trust me. Yeah. He was a 1,600-yard rusher for the Trojans this year, led the district in touchdowns and all-purpose yards. So he'll be a big loss as well. But you look who they bring back. They're bringing back their quarterback, Jayshon Mangani, who made his – it was his first year on varsity this year. He transferred over from Lake Belton, and he took the reins of this offense. And he was really good this year. He had 29 touchdowns, only three interceptions. And, or four interceptions, and two of those were in that playoff loss to Fort Ben Marshall. So he did a really good job. He was a field general. He really commanded that offense. We always took care of the football, and they're really athletic. And this university team, they were all their games were close. In the regular season, they got blown out by Coppers Cove in their pre-district finale. But aside from that, take that game out of the equation. They were six total points away from being nine and one in the regular season. And including that was their district championship game against Belton, in which Belton kicked that game-winning field goal as time expired to win the district championship. So that literally put University from the one seed to the three seed, which would have set them on a lot better path oh, yeah. into the playoffs. <laughs> Absolutely. So, again, they were in every game, which is not something that, you know, a University team would happen when it gets in those close games where it's going back and forth. Usually, in all cases – a university team like that would just fold, and they wouldn't be, they wouldn't know how to respond. And that happened in their first round playoff matchup as well against Austin McCallum. Those were tough circumstances. It was a cold, rainy night in downtown Austin, and they fell early, fourteen nothing, but then ended up outscoring uh, McCallum thirty four to seven to end the game, and then get that district uh, the by district championship for their first playoff win since two thousand nine. So they're returning a lot, and just with how competitive they were. Coach Kent Laster, he has this thing completely turned around. He has a lot more kids in the school active, participating in athletics. He has the kids buying in. And I think a big thing was, and I told him this, I did play-by-play -play for university this year. And the one thing I told Coach Laster in our last meeting with him before their game against Fort Ben Marshall, these kids believe in you because you believe in them. And I think that that's something that this university program hasn't had in a long time a coach that truly and genuinely believed in these kids because he takes them he takes them out for trips he has them over at his house for barbecues and stuff he takes care of these kids and he he cares about them he really does and that that's if there's nothing else that pertains to your job as a head coach it's taking care of the kids and growing them into young men and i that's think he, awesome. did, he yeah. does he does a phenomenal <clears throat> job with that he is the I don't want to say perfect, but he was an unbelievable hire for Waco ISD for this University Trojan program. I think as long as he's there, that program has nowhere to go but up. They have a lot of young talent coming in, including their second leading rusher, Ladarius Smith, or Ladarius Evans, rather. He was a sophomore this year, and he'll be coming back, and he'll be taking that lead back role as well. Um, he had 500 yards, six touchdowns on the year, uh, with limited snaps as well. They were, most, of the, most of the workload was going to... Uh, Makai Sandolph and <clears throat> Najee Drakes, both of them uh, graduating as well. And then another thing, they're returning that freshman wide receiver, London Smith, Rodney Smith's son, uh, one of the assistant ADs at Waco ISD. Uh, he, he's a freshman. He has an offer by Baylor. He has a couple D2 offers as well. He's an unbelievable athlete, 6'2", 160 pounds, or 170 pounds. And Coach Laster, we talked to him as well, he's only going to get bigger. They're expecting him to get up to 6'4", 6'5", over 200 pounds. <laughs> He'll be a true one-on-one -on -one ball deep threat receiver for years to come. And he's going to be a sophomore. I think he's going to take a big step up as well. That's a mouthful. I'm, I'm talking about an under-the-radar under team, but I think they're going to be dominating. 
But well, you got the inside scoop on them. Yeah, so. I think I think the reason I think they're going to be under the radar is because they're they're going to people are going to look at it and be like, oh, it's university. It's a one it's and a one done. Year. It's yeah. a one and done exactly. But with how much they have coming back, and with Coach Kent last year, and, and <clears throat> seeing it firsthand with the meetings, meeting with the kids, watching them play all season long, and what they have coming back. Uh, the trajectory of this university program is really, really positive through my eyes, at least. And again, I think they'll be under the radar because people are going to say, "Oh, it's university," but I think they'll be back. I think they'll have a legitimate shot to play for a district championship in this district again. And I think they have, a, if they get a favorable playoff path, I think they'll have a chance to make a two or three uh, round deep run in the playoffs. So. We'll see how that goes, but I'm, again, I'm, I'm really high on this university team. Uh, Coach Kent Laster, he's done a phenomenal job there. If he stays and uh, maintains what he's been building in that program so far and only builds it up, they have nowhere to go but up. So it'll be exciting to see what the Trojans do from here on out. But uh, that'll do it for our season review and preview portion of the show. Um, a big thing that's come out this week as we're recording this, Kenny, a lot of the coaching changes across the – State of Texas are coming out. The coaching carousel has started, as it always does during this time of year. And in Central Texas, a lot of jobs have been taken and have been open as well. Uh, Coach Ludlow at Robinson, he's left. That job is open as of today uh, on December 29th. Mejia Aranola leaves. That job's open. Maypearl, Adam Olson left. Uh, mid-season. Well, mid-season yeah. uh, after that 89 nothing loss to West. So that job's open. Uh, Rockdale and Palmer came open as well, but both those jobs have been taken. Uh, Coach Hamrick over at Rockdale takes the uh, – that's an uh, internal hire, I believe. No, uh, he was there. Oh, he was, came back. It's yeah. a second stint. Yeah. Okay, all right. So he was he, on the he, staff when they won the state championship. Okay, so, so, so it's not internal. He's a second stint there, yep. this, this time as the head coach of Rockdale. And then a Palmer gets a new head coach as well. After I believe they finished 11-1 and on the season last year in the top 10 for most of the year. In three division two, uh, Coach Boast um, will be taking that position there. So the coaching carousel has started across the state of Texas as well. Uh, so we'll keep an eye out for that. <clears throat> What's going well. on in Mahia? Why are they? What uh, is the deal there? I honestly have no idea. We need idea. a Mahia insider to come on. Yeah, if uh, if if, any, <laughs> if we have any going. listeners from Mahia <laughs> or any insiders, please let us know what's going on because that's like what they're third or fourth coach in three I or four mean, years. It's just, yeah. It's disappointing for the kids. I mean, absolutely you know, because they're having to adapt to a new program. And every you're going to, you're going to lose kids because they're not going to want to come in here and, and, you know, new guy every year. So they need to find some kind of stability. I don't know if the problems at the school board level, the school, I don't know the kid level. I don't know what it is, but they, they need to find somebody that can fix it. Cause that's a team, especially the last few years, they've had unbelievable athletes and they just haven't, I just really think that is a sleeping giant. If you get, I, if you get the right coach that's in there that can establish it, that's done oh. it before, that's established some kind of winning culture, get them in there, and you're probably going to lose some kids that don't want to uh, abide by the rules or, or do that type of deal, but I think you're going to be better in the long run getting I, somebody in there that wants to stay there. I think a sleeping giant is a perfect analogy for that program. They always have the athletes. That's never been a question there. I think, yeah, just they haven't been able to get anything going. But I don't think any program could if you have three different coaches in three different years. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just not feasible. You can't do that. But you know, like like you said, that's a great point. Sleeping giant. If they get a good coach that's been there, done that, as Kenny said, I think they have a chance to you know make a deep run and just become a more established program in Central Texas as well. That can be up there at the same level as the La Vegas, the China Springs. The Grandview stuff like that, so uh-huh. we'll we'll keep an eye out for that as well. We'll as the coaching carousel moves along as well, but yeah, that's uh that's kind of it. We kind of put a bow on the 2022 season this year and season one, 2022 of the Central Texas Football Podcast. Um, and we'll go ahead and tell them, Kenny. We'll be back next year. We will, and uh, hopefully sometime in maybe mid, mid-August we'll uh, do our preview show, and yep. we'll preview like we did last uh, earlier this year all the uh, the districts that we cover, and you know we're we're called the Central Texas Football Podcast, but that doesn't mean we're not going to talk about Glen Rose or Franklin that may not be traditionally your Central Texas teams. We're going to talk about whoever we want to, and uh, yeah, I'm excited, man. It's going to be fun. Uh, 
kind of, you know, got our feet wet this year and learned how to prepare, learned how to do a little research, got a lot of contacts for some coaches. All of them were great. They all were more than willing to come and on and talk to us. you did a fantastic job in the interviews, well, by the way. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, no, you did. Uh, it was fun, man. And I, I got to talk to a lot of – man, there's some good dudes out there that coach these kids, and it's fun. You know, and, you, know you hear five minutes – of a conversation, but you don't hear the 25 minutes that I talked to Coach Hoffman about barbecue spots. You know, his daughter went to Tech, my son's at Tech, and we talk about Evie Mays and Spanky's and all these different places, and it's uh, it's fun, man, talking to a great dude, uh, Coach Hoffman. is. And, you know, all these coaches are fun to talk to. Craig Horn, talked to him for almost an hour one day, you know, just talking about – we we went to uh, play baseball together in high school, so we're old friends, and – uh, it's just fun talking to these dudes. And that's that's another thing. We've said it before earlier this year as well. But a big reason that that high school football, these teams in Central Texas are so good because of the men and the coaches they have leading these programs. Yeah. The men and women they have leading these athletic programs. Because it's not – Central Texas, it's not just successful in football. All sports across the board in Central Texas. Absolutely. Really good basketball, baseball teams in Central Texas as well. You look at Valley Mills. They won the baseball state championship this past yep. year. Um, Blum winning the volleyball state championship in yep. Central Texas. Some really good girls softball programs. Yeah, absolutely. Midway, all all across Central Texas, all sports, both girls and boys sports, and the men and women coaches leading these programs. And Central Texas, top to bottom, doesn't really get any better. I think we're really fortunate to be able to have the opportunity to cover these programs and talk about these teams and talk with these coaches and these programs that really represent this part of Texas really well. It's really, really fun. And I've had fun this year. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed this. I'm I'm glad you brought this up. You asked me about this back in March when I was still in college. You're like, hey, what do you think about doing this? I'm like, heck yeah, let's do it. And it, it was really fun. This was a really fun season. And I had a great time, Kenny. Man, it's been a blast. And I appreciate, uh, you know, you've done most of the, uh, you, you download it and you put it up and you run the social media. So I appreciate all your work. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to do another one. What do you say we do it again in eight months, Kenny? We're going to do it. We're going to do it as well. And thank you for listening this year. And thanks again to all of our guests this year, all the coaches and media personnel, uh, uh, Jack Allen, Curtis Quillen over there, and the Waco TV station. Jack's leaving us. He's yes, he is. He, 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 uh, he's set up to uh, Little, Little Rock, Little Rock uh, to be near his uh, family, or uh, his uh, wife's family, one of the two. Just be close to the family yeah. in general and got a nice shot over there. So congratulations to, to Jack for that opportunity as well. And thanks again. He joined us several times on yep. the show this Curtis year. Curtis did. Bryce uh, da- uh, David Smoke as well. He David joined us Smoke. as well. Uh, thanks to everyone. And Matt Stepp as well for the weekly answering all of our questions. and Jay they, Black. Uh, Jay Black for hosting us at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. We'll have to do that a lot more yeah, next year. We might have to do our preview show there next year. I'll have to get in on yeah. that. So, yeah, but we'll be back next year. Uh, I'm really, really excited and really thankful for the opportunity. And thank you guys for listening uh, all season long. We really do appreciate it. And again, Kenny, what do you say we do this again in eight months? Let's do it. Let's do it indeed. Thanks again for listening. Uh, This has been episode 19, the season one finale, 2022 season review of the Central Texas Football Podcast. Thanks again for listening all season long. We will see you in August 2023. For Kenny Heath, I'm Ryan Fox. And enjoy the offseason, everybody. 